We are so glad you've joined us today. If God is doing something in your life through this ministry, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at live at trinitynwa.com to tell us your story. You can also go online to give to this ministry by going to trinitynwa.com and clicking the red Give Online button. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to experience more content, visit our website or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Turn to Psalms chapter 25, verse 20. I want to talk for a few minutes about what to do after disappointment. And the psalmist writes in 20, Psalms 25:20. It's an interesting verse. It sounds like the kind of prayer that I would pray. And we're going to see when we get to the end. I've chosen this as our text, but at the end I have another verse to share with you that might be more appropriate. But this is one we pray a lot, I think. It goes something like this. He's talking to God. He says, I come to you for shelter. Protect me, keep me safe, and don't disappoint me. Doesn't that sound like our prayers? Maybe not word for word, but basically that's what they're about. God, take care of me and everybody I love. Keep all of us safe. Bless us all. Make sure we got plenty of money. Make sure all of us feel well. Don't let any of us get sick. Don't let nothing happen to nobody. Right? Don't disappoint us. Lord, you're able to do everything, so do it. All right? What do you do after disappointment? Have you ever have you ever had your heart broken? Anybody here ever had your heart broken? Amen? Has life ever gone in a direction that you prayed, specifically prayed it would not? And that went anyway? Have you ever been so disappointed by a, a certain set of circumstances that, that you just get stuck there? You, you, you're so devastated by something that you just can't get out of that spot. Am I talking to anybody? I've gone to the word this week because I just could not get the word disappointment out of my head for some reason, for someone. From about Tuesday on, that word was there and I, I started looking in scripture and I started doing research and looking up the word disappointment. I'll tell you something, if because I thought, you know, well, surely I'm going to find a verse that talks about disappointment and what to do about it, you know, because it's just such a prevalent theme with us. And... And I found, and maybe you find something different, but I looked with several different translations and found the word disappointment very few times in the Bible. It's disappointed a couple of times, disappointment, maybe once or twice, disappoint once or twice. But here's what I found instead of the word disappointment. Here's some words that you'll find, depending on the translation you're looking at, that kind of means the same. You'll see the word distressed. You'll see the words uh, hard-pressed. Or downcast. When you start looking at those verses, those are the words that are used pretty much in the Bible. There's others, but those are used in the Bible to describe the way people felt or the way they were praying in times of, of disappointment. 
that they were just downcast. Have you ever been downcast? What do you do with that? There's a lot of examples of disappointed people in Scripture. I don't know. I've been disappointed in life several times. Have you? I was kind of disappointed that we didn't beat North Carolina. Somebody say amen. I mean, we got so close. Don't start talking about those refs. I know that it was a charge. I know. I know it can't be a no call. Don't get me going on that. You got to call something. I was disappointed with that. But I'll tell you, I've had a lot of disappointments in life that far exceeded that loss. Things that were much more devastating than that. Sometimes the decisions of other people disappoint me. Disappointment is a part of the human experience. And we've all been disappointed. If we haven't been, we're going to be. And even if we have been, we're going to be again. Because that's how this life works many times. Just this week, I listened to a man, grown man, cry on the phone as he spoke of a recent disappointment. Just this week, a lady who was here last week was miraculously healed. She'd been experiencing pain and she was miraculously healed. She goes out of this service ecstatic because she's finally out of pain and within hours is in a head-on collision, gets her back broken three places. In one day, went left here being ecstatic, wound up that night in a hospital. Don't you think she's disappointed? She was so excited that morning when she came forward. The Holy Spirit specifically called her out. The ladies laid hands on her and God miraculously healed her of something she'd been struggling with for a long time. And that day ends up in the hospital with a back broke. This life is full of disappointments. And times when prayers get answered, but not the way you wanted them to. Because they all get answered. You know how that one works. Yes, no, or maybe. Or even a fourth later on. So, I want to remind us, and I won't be able to go into depth on the stories of these three biblical characters, but I'm going to remind you of three biblical characters who I think experienced devastating losses in this life, who, if anybody was ever disappointed, these are extreme cases of of calamity and disappointment. I use these three specifically because they were so devastating to the people that they affected, because I don't think that life can get much worse than what these three experienced. And I use those examples because I want you to see how that God is able to bring us out of those places. How God can move us on beyond disappointment. But I want you to see what they had in common because the reason I use those three is I, I was looking, thinking about their lives and I went back and read back over their lives and I found that in each one of their cases, through the disappointment, they had some things in common. And the, the, the things they had in common are what I want to point out. Because I believe that 
There's three of those things they had in common, at least one, two, maybe three of all, maybe all of those will apply in your life when you're trying to get beyond a disappointed place. So I'm going to talk for a few minutes about Job and David and the Shunammite woman. You guys remember those stories? Starting with Job, Job was the guy that, was there anybody, I mean, Even in the conversation between God and the devil, God said, there's nobody as righteous as Job. In all of his godliness and righteousness and holiness and sanctification, the, the way he's living his life, and if you study his life, you find that he's even, he's even praying on behalf of his children. I mean, he can't make their decisions for him, but he's even making sure they got their lives right, not just his own. And in all of that, yet he still experiences major devastation in fact in one day the servants come and tell him job all of your kids were together and they were having a a feast and a party at one of the older ones houses and a violent storm came through and knocked down the house and every one of your children were killed bam before they're even done speaking in comes another one said oh by the way all of your sheep and your goats and your donkeys and all of your possessions They've all been wiped out too. Thieves have come and taken them. Different things have happened, but they're all... Why would all this happen in one day? Coincidental? No, because Satan said, let me have at him for a little while. And God said, okay, don't kill him. Don't touch him. Don't touch him, but you can touch everything around him. And we'll just see if he'll remain faithful, because I know he will. And so it's not coincidence when these things happen a lot of times, folks. It's not just his family, but it's every possession that he had. And then, after he still doesn't curse God, the devil goes back and says, well, it's just because you won't let me touch him. God says, okay, you can touch him too. Just don't kill him. And so then the, then he's afflicted with boils. It says he's sitting in the ashes, scraping sores with broken pottery. Cursing the day he was born, but not cursing God. To the point that his wife, who is baffled by his trust, says, why don't you just curse God and die? That's a bad day. That's a bad day when your wife said, I'm so tired of seeing you suffer. I'm suffering because of you. I wish you was dead too. If we're going to have a clean sweep, I I think you might be the cause of this. I've lost my children. I've lost my house. I've lost my stuff. Maybe you're the... I just... Why don't you just go too? That's a bad day. And then David... David, man, God loves David. Of course, David, you know, he's, he's, he's mortal. He's sinful. He's like us. He, he's not like Job. I mean, the devil didn't say, hey, look how perfect David is. I mean, David is a mess, but he has a heart that's after God. But David goes out and sins with Bathsheba, and she gets pregnant, and, and the baby dies. And David is, remember before the baby dies, David has gone into a place and he is sackcloth and ashes. He is praying, he is seeking God, he's begging, pleading for the life of this baby, this innocent baby that didn't do anything wrong. And yet the baby dies anyway. And David and Bathsheba, by the way, she's just lost her husband and now a newborn baby. Because Uriah got killed by David when he was trying to steal Bathsheba. And the baby dies and David and Bathsheba are disappointed. 
The Shunammite woman, you remember her story? She was just a nice, a kind lady who lived in a region that Elisha used to come through every so often. And when he came through one time, she found him and, and it said, you know, that her and her, her husband were well off. And, and so she had, had brought him home and always provided hospitality for him when he was in the area. And so she says to her husband, she says, you know what? This is a man of God. Why don't, we got the space on the roof. It's cooler up there. Why, why don't we, why don't we just build a spot up there? We'll put a bed and a table and a, and a chair and a lamp stand up there. And when he's coming through, he could just spend the night and, and let's just be nice to the guy and help him out. And so Elisha comes through and this becomes his own room. Whenever he's in the region, he stays at their house and he's so happy about that. And he calls in his servant. He says, you know, we need to do something for her. What could we do for them? You know, they've got money. I mean, what can we do? And Gehazi says, well, they've never had any children and they're kind of getting up in years. I bet they would like to have a son. Carry on the family name. So he calls her in and he says, this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, you know, kind of like a lot of the stories we hear about in the Bible. But sure enough. Nine months later, I suppose, if it's the same as with everyone else. I don't know that it says that specifically in the Bible, but I would assume. And since she was a human being that nine months later. She gives birth to this baby and she loves this child. And as it grows, it gets big enough. One day it's out in the fields with dad. Dad's out working and the little one is out there with dad. And he begins to complain of a terrible headache. Probably a heat stroke that was common in those, in those days in that time. And in that, in that temperature and humidity and all the stuff that was going with that. Uh, and he complains he's got a terrible headache. And so the dad says to one of the servants, take take him to his mama. And so he brings him to his mother and it says that the child laid on his mama's lap for a little while until he died. Wow. She's devastated. She didn't ask for this baby. She was beyond the point of believing she would have one. She had pretty much reconciled to herself that this was going to be her Life that he, she and her husband would live out their days and that was, and then, and okay, if God, if you want to bless us, all right, but why would you do this? Right? I'm talking about not just disappointment, but life changing calamities. These are the kinds of things you don't just get over. So how did these three move past? They all lived in different times. They never knew each other. They may or may not have known anything about one another's stories. Probably didn't. I I don't know. But how is it that they all moved past? And how is it that they somehow seem to come up with the same three common denominators that helped them get through? And if that happened for them, isn't it possible that maybe that's what it's going to take for us, and don't raise your hand, but all of those of you that are right now, I know you're here, all of those of you that are right now in that place, in living in that spot of disappointment, perhaps some of you, it's more than disappointment, it's become tragedy, it's become grief, it has gone beyond just a disappointment about not getting a job, or, or a disappointment about not getting a house, or, or a car, or whatever it was, it's, it's way beyond that kind of, but you're living in, 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 in uh, trying to get past a calamity, a life-changing devastation. How are you going to do that? You're asking yourself that question. 
Here's the three things they did. Are you ready? Write them down. Number one, this is what, it's what they did. All three of them did the same thing. After disappointment, you must pursue God. Well, see, some of you are like, well, yeah, I mean, we're supposed to pursue God all the time. I'm saying that when you go through a life-changing calamity, sometimes the last thing you want to do is pursue God because initially you want to blame him. The last thing on your mind is worshiping him. You want to blame him. You want to, you want to say, well, he, you know, he, he could have prevented this. He, he's all powerful. He's a miracle worker. Why did he let this happen? And I don't have the answers for that. Not for you or for me. I, I, don't, I don't have the answers for all that. But here's what I know. In spite of all the disappointments that I have experienced, I know this. He's still God. And beyond my disappointments, he's still my savior. He's still my healer, my provider, my friend. I know he loves me. I know he wants me in heaven with him. I know all of that. So even though I may be going through something devastating, I know that I know these things about God. They don't change. He's still he's still good. He's still merciful. He's still compassionate. I don't understand why this didn't go the way you wanted or hoped that it would go. But I know that at the end of the day, when the dust settles, he's still God. And he's still good. He could have prevented the attack on Job. He he could have changed his mind about David's baby and he he could have kept the little lady's son from having a heat stroke, but he didn't. And I don't know why, except I can say that in every one of those cases, for every one of those persons who suffered, he was merciful to the point that when you study it, they each one still had amazing and wonderful lives after the devastating thing that happened in their life. Amazing, wonderful things happened in their lives after that. God blessed them. And he's going to bless you too when this is over. The thing to do is not to turn away from him in anger and run and hide. But the thing to do is to run to him. It's that same picture of... The child who mama tells over and over, don't touch the stove. And, the, and eventually the kid touches the stove and what do they do? The first thing they do, they don't turn around and cuss their mom. The first thing they think of is crying and running to their mom. Even though she's the one who told them not to do it. You say, well, how are you comparing? I'm saying that's the same thing. Why would you curse God? He was the one that's protecting you, promoting you, providing for you. He's the very first one you should run to in those times. On those worst days, on those, in those worst times that you can fathom, anger is not going to be the thing that's going to fix this. But pursuing God. If you run to God, if you pursue Him, healing is going to come much sooner than if you try to go another direction. So Job kept on seeking God. The scripture said, for David... They came in and told him his baby was dead. He worshipped God. It's ironic. And what about the Shunammite woman? As soon as the baby was dead, what'd she do? She pursued God the only way he knew. She, she knew how. She took him up and put him on the bed of the man of God and went to find the prophet. 
Each of them reacted a little bit differently, but all of them had the same thing in common. They were each pursuing God the way they knew how. How do you know how to pursue God? There's no right or wrong way. But the point is this. If you're in that situation, the very first thing you have to do is you're going to have to pursue him. Run to him, not from him. Run to him right now. And secondly, they had to press ahead. So when you look at their life, Job response to all of this when it's over how does he press ahead he starts right off by repenting for questioning that's his way of pressing ahead well the first thing i need to do is repent for the way i thought the way i acted for david he washed himself cleaned himself up and worshiped god he'd been sitting in sackcloth and ashes dirty and wailing and lamenting once it was said and done, it was over. There's no need in questioning God at this point. What do we need to do? He says, you know what? This is gone. This is done. This is over. This is past. I'm just going to wash myself up, clean myself up, comb my hair, take a shower. Get myself presentable again. Because I'm going to have to move on. And the Shunammite woman. She laid the baby on the prophet's bed and... When her husband said, where are you going? She said, don't worry about it. That's my translation. Just mind your own. Go ahead and plow. Stay in the field. And she tells the servant, let's get on these donkeys or horses or whatever it is we're riding. And you don't slow down for me. Can I use the word? Let's bust a move. Don't slow down on my account, she said. But let's get to the man of God as quickly as we can. And when they see her coming from a far distance, the prophet says, that looks like that Shunammite woman. Go see what she's up to. And the, and the servant runs to her and, and he says, is everything okay? Is your husband all right? Is the baby all right? She said, it shall be well. It's going to be all right, she says. Now, the, she knows the baby's dead back home on the bed right now and she says to them oh to the servant it's going to be all right don't slow me down i can see where i'm trying to get so it's all right get behind me and let's keep on rolling i'm gonna press ahead i don't like this place this place of devastation is not a fun place, but some people bog down right there. They just sit down right there. They don't know how to move. You need to understand something. Every one of these had a decision to make. They could have sat down and wallowed and, and, and mourned, but they understood something that we need to understand. Your life is not over. You may live a long, long time. And somebody say, well, pastor, I'm, eight, I'm 85 years old. I'm not going to live a long You might. If God wants you to, you might live another 30 years. You don't know. Your life is not over. Just because you've been through something devastating. 
If you're still breathing, if you're still, if God is still giving you air and life and a mind and a body that functions, that means that your life is not over. God still has plans for you. You can't bog down in the middle of this. You're going to have to make a decision to press ahead. Why would I press ahead, Pastor? Oh, I want you to hear this statement. Because your miracle, your miracle might be just ahead. And you stop here, you're not going to see it. Each one of them knew they were going to have to pursue God. They were going to have to press ahead. And they all knew something else. And the third thing that they knew was this. They knew they had to pick life. I read a story this week about a fella who all of his life he wanted to be a missionary. He prayed and he prayed that God would allow him to be a missionary. His name was Oswald Smith. The dream dominated his heart. Finally, he had his opportunity to be examined by the board that would commission him to be a missionary. And he was so excited, he went to his commissioning and he did not meet the expectations and they didn't pass him. It was a lifelong dream. Why would God not let somebody be a missionary that was willing to? Crazy? He was devastated. It had been a lifelong dream. He's devastated. They weren't going to let him be a missionary. What was he going to do? And then God, as he turned to God in prayer, God planted something in his spirit. He said, if you couldn't go as a missionary, why don't you build a church that can send the missionaries? And so he planted a church. He pastored the People's Church in Toronto, Canada. And it ended up sending out more missionaries than any other church in its day. He never got to be the missionary, but he planted and sent out missionaries all over the world. God transformed a detour in his life into a main thoroughfare of service. It's going to lead to something good and exciting. I know you can't see that right now. When you're in the middle of that devastation, when you've been so severely disappointed, you can't see how this could lead to anything exciting. But now you need to pick life. What happened is a result of Job picking life. The scripture says that at the end of it all, his life, God gives him back twice everything he'd lost. Because he picks life. That reward was the result of a person who had decided to move on and bear fruit. Living and bearing fruit is the only thing that produces something like that. So had he just bogged down, there was a blessing God had for him he would have never seen. Because God does not allow fruit to grow on a barren tree. But for the person that would say, I'm going to pick life, I'm going to go on living, I'm going to keep on serving, I'm going to go ahead and keep trusting, I'm going to keep on believing, I'm just going to keep on working. And God says, okay, I can bless that attitude. I can do something with that. And so God begins to bless him. And as he blesses him, as he continues to work, and as he continues to, to stretch out and stretch out the ten stakes, God continues to bless him until eventually he looks around and realizes, oh my lands, years have passed and I have twice as much as I ever had. 
before. Because he picked life. David, what was his, the result of his decision to pick life? He ended up becoming the king that led the people, not just Judah, but all of Israel. He led them for years and years, was a, a successful, a majorly successful king, blessed and was able to prepare for the, king, for the, for the, uh, the temple that would be built later by Solomon. Because he picked life. How about the Shunammite woman? Her decision turned into having her son healed and back in her arms. The prophet went back with her. He gave his staff to the servant. He says, you run ahead and put this staff on him. And the woman said, mm, no, that's not going to work. You remember? She said, he can do that if he wants, but I'm staying with you. You and I are going back. You're going too. I think if, when I read it, it looks like he was just like, well, faith, I, I got faith. Take this, run back, lay it on him. He'll be here. She says, mm, that's fine. Go ahead, but... I'm not leaving you, she was saying. You and I, we're going too. You're going to go. And ends up, when he gets back, he's the one that walks in, looks at the child. The child is still dead. He's the one that walks over to him and, and begins to breathe into him and to pray over him and all. And then the kid raises back to life and he presents him back to his mother. If the mama had decided to just sit down, if she had just said, well, I can't believe God did this. I, I can't believe God will give me a son and then let him die. And she just sits down and says, my life is over. You know, I'm just done. That baby doesn't come back to life if she does that. But because she picks life, she chooses life. When the story's said and done, she's got this little one back in her arms alive. Healed and brought back from the dead. The only other choice that you have is the choice of what I would call an extended death. A drawn out death where that life just becomes a series of one disappointment after the other until you finally mercifully get to die. That's how some people are living their lives. After times like these, they just shut down. They just try. They don't even really try to exist. They just. In hopes that it'll all be over. That's what you get if you don't move on after disappointment. Life just becomes a series of events that you miss out on because you're bogged down in the past. Let me illustrate what I mean. If you don't believe what I'm saying, when you leave here today, go get in your car. And drive home. And the whole while you're driving home, drive looking over your back shoulder through the back window and see what kind of results you get. I wouldn't advise anybody to do that. You know what will happen if you try to drive home looking out the back window? You're going to wreck several times. This life is not intended for you to be able to stay here. Nor is it possible for you to go back there. The only way this life works is if you keep going that way. Looking that way. Walking that way. Running and driving that way. No good results come from trying to go that way, looking that way. You got to pick life. Daniel Hans was a Presbyterian minister. 1986, he and his wife, Beth, they had a little baby girl. Her name was um, Laura. Laura was three years old. And she died of cancer. 
This pastor and his wife were beyond devastated. You can imagine how they had prayed that God would heal her. And during the last nine months of her life, this little three-year-old baby girl, those parents watched that baby go in and out of the hospital nine times. They were by her side for four separate operations. And then their hearts were broken as she passed away and they struggled to make sense of what had happened. During this time, Pastor Hans wrote a book. He released a book containing some of the messages that he had preached throughout the last months of his baby's life and the period immediately following her death. One of the messages in that book is titled this. Are you ready for it? Caution, your God is too big. Let me explain. He surveyed his congregation. He asked them about their disappointments and their disappointments with God. He said, share with me the things that you hoped God would do that he didn't. And people began to describe things that they'd prayed for in life. One of them prayed for the life of a newborn and then it passed away. Another one prayed for the safety of God's people to get back and forth to church. And a lady that was on her way to church was actually stabbed. Other ones were praying for, 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 for rain in Africa. And it was the season where that, that the drought continued and people died because rain never came. And these were the things that people were listing for him. And then he added to that his own experience of praying that God would heal his baby. And then her condition only growing worse. And so in the midst of that, he suggested that disappointments like these are the stuff of life. And he said, we read the scriptures, we discover that alongside the stories of miracles and amazing feats by God, we also hear story after story of disappointment with God, of times that God appears silent and inactive. And he suggests that sometimes we remember only the miracle stories, and so we develop too big a view of God. Not that we can have too big of a view of God's greatness or power or mercy or love or grace, but that we have too big a view of God's will. Did you hear that? We determine what that will should be. And if he does not live up to it, then we become very disappointed. And he said, God's action in our world is not always to perform the miraculous, but more often than not to walk through our suffering with us. Not what we wanted to hear. We're going, to we're going to have disappointments in this life. It's going to happen. It's part of the human experience. But there's life after disappointment. God does not want you to waste your time that you have here left being angry or perpetually sad or despondent. If you've been disappointed, well, let me give you another verse. You know the one we started with, right? God, save me, protect me, keep me, don't let me, don't disappoint me. Remember that? How about this verse instead of that one? Psalms 18, 2. You are my mighty rock, my fortress, my protector, the rock where I'm safe, my shield, my powerful weapon, and my place of shelter. That's the verse I'm choosing over the first one. Because it's the one that I choose to be true. I choose to approach this with that attitude. 
Sure, I don't want to be disappointed. Sure, I don't want anyone to be sick. Sure, I don't want anybody to die. But here's how I choose to live my life each day. No matter what, God, you still my rock, my fortress, my protector, the rock where I'm safe, my shield, my powerful weapon, and my place of shelter. Even if I've been disappointed by life, the enemy's attacks or even tests that God has allowed, I choose to cling to this verse as a source of hope. I sat in my office this morning and relived some memories. Sometimes I share my stories and I see you parents cringe when you think, how am I going to explain that to my kids when we get home? (laughs) You go home and tell them, please don't be like the pastor when he was a kid. Please don't be like that. I remember life when I was 11 and 12. Man, I mean, you want to talk about living life. I loved life. I got up. Usually I had to get whipped to get get on the bus because I didn't want to go to school. But So I'd get on the bus finally and I'd go to school. And then once I got there, it got better. And I would spend my day playing football and basketball and busting up the line where the good kids played Red Rover. You remember that? Where the good, the good children played Red Rover. I was the kid that always ran and busted up the line that they didn't call over. And they'd all be mad and they'd say, they'd try to make their arms really strong. Here he comes again, you know. I was that kid. School was a series of sometimes classes, but I didn't have to go to all of them because I spent a lot of time at the principal's office. So I went to class sometimes and I played. I went to recess. It was my favorite. Lunch and recess, it was my favorite. I'd had straight A's in lunch and recess. And I'd get my paddlings and then I'd get on the bus and I'd head home. I was so excited about getting home. On the way home, I'm thinking, I got a gun, I got to shoot, I got a motorcycle, I got to ride, I got puppies I got to play with. And by the time the bus would roll up in front of the church parsonage there in Batavia, the driver would crack the bus door about that far, and I would squeeze through and literally jump out of the bus while it was still going. I would hit the ditch and roll, and I would jump up running for the house. And I could hear the bus driver behind me screaming, all kinds of stuff day after day he, he would try he would try his hardest he knew he had to open the door at some point but he would try his hardest to make it so thin that I couldn't get and I would just pull it open and jump out and I would hit I would try to I would try to try to clear the ditch you know because if he landed in the ditch not good but I would try to clear the ditch and so sometimes he would thwart my Ability to jump as far as I would have by him getting the door in my way. But when I could get the door far enough open, I could actually clear the whole ditch. Run as fast as I could for the house. Grab the gun, head out to the yard, crank up the motorcycle. I'm shooting, I'm riding, I'm jumping, I'm making ramps. I hope none of y'all are dumb as this, but we'd get on swing sets. We didn't care about so much the swinging. There was a game involved for some of us boys where you would swing until you got all the way up. You'd look back and see the pole even with your eyes. You remember that? And that's when you jumped. Remember? The game was to see how far can you go 
and live. Nobody besides me. I see some people shaking their head. And you'd swing and you'd swing and you'd swing and you'd swing and then you'd get to the edge. You'd put your hands on the chains like this. Scoot out on the edge with your hand. And just as you got to the peak, you would jump. And you're 10, 12, 15 feet in the air. How stupid can you be? And you're flying through the air and there's nothing is exhilarating. And you hit the ground and you roll and you get up and you dust yourself off. And you see if you have any broken bones. And then you mark the spots because the other guy's jumping. You got to make sure that you're going to win. And then if you're capable, you get back in the swing and you try to beat your own record, right? That's life. Something happens along the way. I thought in my office today, if I was to try to do that and jump out of the swing, I would break my legs and my back. Because 230 don't hit the ground like 135. I'd be like a big old blunt lawn dart. Remember how we used to live? What happened? A series of funerals. Surgeries, divorces, miscarriages, loss. And all of a sudden you're like me, you're sitting in that seat right now going, when did I quit jumping? When did I quit living? How do I live again? Pursue God. Press ahead. Pick life. Otherwise, you won't ever jump again. Who am I talking to? During this song today, we're going to pray. I want to pray for three specific groups of people. I want to pray for the ones who, when the devastation came, they were so upset and devastated that they didn't pursue God. Instead, they went the other way and they've been angry ever since. I want to talk to that person. I want to pray for that person that today God will help them to forgive to release to come back home and get back right I want to pray for somebody to be able to pursue God today like they haven't in a long time I I, I want to pray for that one who's having a hard time pressing ahead because once it happened it seemed like you just sat down and the grief I know about that grief is so overwhelming it is so heavy that sometimes you don't think you can even breathe right I want to talk to that person today about being able to wash their face and comb their hair and put their clothes back on and get back outside. I want to talk to that one that forgot how to jump after calamity came, 
they stopped picking life and they started just playing safe because that's what you do if you don't pick life you play safe I'm going to stay inside. I'm going to surround my... You know how you start trying to surround yourself? With, I'm, I'm going to take these vitamins. I'm not going to forget to take these vitamins. I don't want to get sick. You didn't used to take vitamins. Doctor said, I had high cholesterol. He said, I need to start taking a little aspirin every day. I'm being rebellious. I just take one every other day. That's just the way I am, Kevin. I may die. It'll probably be on the day I didn't take the aspirin. But if I do, it'll be because the Lord was ready for me, won't it? We start trying to live it safe. Because when we see what could happen, we start getting older and see what could happen. And we, we start trying to play it safe. God don't want us to play it safe. God wants us to live life and live it more abundantly. He wants us to jump and run and roll until He's ready. And when He takes us home, then we'll go do it there too. He wants you to live every moment the way He intended. Who am I talking to? During this song this morning, we're going to pray for folks. If you're one of them, you don't have to form three different groups. But if if you want prayer today, if you're one of those that want to come today and you're ready to, you're in one of those categories or maybe all three, you're ready for God to do a work in your life, you're ready to pursue and you're ready to move on, then I want you to come forward during this song. We're going to pray with you. Amen? Let's pray.